Hello and welcome to Desert Island Dildos, your friendly neighbourhood podcast about sex and sexuality. Joining me today is Amy. Uh, Amy, tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, hello. Um, yes, I am a sex blogger. I blog at uh, Coffee and Kink, which is uh, at coffeeandkink.me. Um, and I write about uh, kink and BDSM and consensual non-monogamy and um, abuse and trauma, which is connected a little bit to what we're going to talk about today. Um, I am also a, um, a queer, bisexual, polyamorous, ethical slut, swinger sort of um yeah all of the all of the sex things that's me and i don't actually sound like this crumby has run my voice through a voice changing thing indeed <laughs> uh, <laughs> so what would you like to talk to us about today yeah so when you when you first approached me about appearing on the podcast i was like i want to talk about kink and polyamory and abuse and then i was like oh shit that's really heavy isn't it is that going to be too much for a podcast about dildos well Obviously, this isn't a podcast specifically focused on trauma, but I did want it to be a space where we could talk about this because trauma informs so many people's experiences of sex and sexuality. And uh, mm. in in another project I run, uh, Cocktails and Fucktails, that is a space where I made a very specific choice where I didn't want to talk about uh, trauma and sex because... I think it's important to have those spaces, but when someone talks about trauma in that context, it very quickly dominates that entire space. So, but this, I think there's much more freedom to talk about these difficult topics and bring some light on them in a way which doesn't force someone to listen to it if they're not comfortable. So yeah, I, I think it's a really important topic. I'm, I'm very happy to have you on to talk about it. Thank you. Yeah, um, and I need I need to give a little disclaimer up front that like I am I, I am a survivor and I talk about this stuff a lot and I write about this stuff a lot, but um, I'm not a I'm not a trained trauma specialist and I'm not a mental health professional, so I just have to put that disclaimer in there that anything mm. I anything I say is my experience and possibly based on like my research and things I've read and things, but it's not um, mm. it, it's not coming from a professional perspective. Uh, also, there are this this should have been posted with content warnings um but just to reiterate uh we're going to be talking probably fairly explicitly about abuse and trauma if you're not in a place to listen to that please be kind to yourself and uh maybe give us one a miss for now yeah what do you want to talk about um would you like to start with your experiences around this um sure yeah i mean um I have many, unfortunately, um, which is, you know, um, just, just, it is what it is. Um, so I've been in two abusive relationships. Um, I tend to talk a lot more about the second one. And um, so to, to, to just give a, give a quick, give a quick rundown of it. The, fir the first, the first guy I was with long-term, I mean, I was 15 when we got, uh, no, I was 14 when we got together. We were together for six years. Um, and he was, sexually abusive basically pressuring me into things I didn't want to do starting obviously when I was underage um he was a, a few years older um and and that sucked and we had a really messy breakup and it, and it, it turned very kind of emotionally abusive I suppose towards the end um but it was really it was really the second one that really like fucked me up um so this there was this, this guy I was with from 
uh, we met when I was 19 and we were together uh, for five and a half years uh, when I was 24. He was 15 years older than me and he pretty much from the beginning systematically made me feel like I was going insane. It, it was it was classic gaslighting, psychological manipulation, um, making me doubt my own reality, making me doubt my own perceptions. Um, and he was he was never physically violent, and he was never saying he was never sexually violent is complicated because the, there was I never felt at the time like I was being forced or pressured into anything, but because there was so much so many deep, deep layers of psychological manipulation and gaslighting going on. Looking back, I'm actually not sure quite to what extent I was equipped to fully consent to what was happening in that relationship. But it was really the, it was really the emotional and psychological stuff that was, that, that, that was the biggest part of it. Um, and he was very, very clever. He was the, the most, the most brilliant mind intellectually of anyone I've ever met and that meant that when it came to psychological manipulation he was fucking good at it so yeah that was um so I dumped him when I was 24 and I am now almost 31 and I am still in recovery um I've been through a lot of therapy I've been on a lot of medication I've done a lot I've done a hell of a lot of work on myself um I'm very, very fortunate right now to have um, two very supportive and wonderful partners. Yeah, but I'm still, I'm still recovering from it. And honestly, I think I might always be in some way because I think that abuse changes you permanently. And I'm kind of trying to be okay with that. So yeah, that's my, that's, that's my kind of experience. Um, thank you for sharing. I know it's, it's hard to talk about these things, but I think it's, it's so important that we do have these stories out there that we do start to destigmatize it because I think it's such an important it's such an important resource to like help other people recognize these patterns and also it it can be really helpful to like talk about it and work work through it so again just thank you for talking about it and, and that's that's ultimately that's why I talk about it more than anything it's like I, I, yes, I partly, talk, I partly talk about it because talking about it and being open about it and kind of owning those experiences is is part of my healing process. But much, much more than that, I talk about it because I want other people to see these patterns. Like maybe some other, you know, 18, 19 year old girl will read something I read and recognize her, you know, much older, very charismatic, very manipulative boyfriend in it and be like, oh, shit. And you know, and if I, if one person reads something that I write and it resonates and it helps them to get out of a bad situation before it gets that bad, I've done my job. It's something I think about a lot is uh, whether we always have to carry this trauma with us. Because um, I've I've not been in your situation, but I've got my own, I've got my mm. own shit, um, and it's I think it's just always going to be a struggle trying to reconcile. I don't want to be defined by this awful person or this awful thing that happened to me, but like, there's no one yeah. doing it. Learning to live with those scars. No, that's that. That's it exactly. Um, and I think that some, something I've, I'm, 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 yeah, I, I've been on the BDSM and polyamory scenes um, in some kind of. I mean, since, since since I was 18, in some kind of way, and. I, I love a lot of things about those communities and those spaces, um, but there's also a very real but very insidious um, dark side to those communities and those spaces that 
they're breeding grounds for abuse if the wrong kind of people get involved in them. Um, and so something that something that I've said for a long time is that we we have in in in, in BDSM in particular, we are so hell-bent on saying kink is not the same as abuse that we don't want to talk about the times when it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's that that's the thing I'm I'm all about kind of I, I wanna I wanna rip off the mask off these ideologies and say, look, you know, no, these things are not inherently abusive. Of course they're not, but there are some things about these ideologies that allow that allow abusers to to act and be shielded, and we need to talk about that. Absolutely. And I think often there's kind of a mindset of the whole world's against us. The whole world doesn't want kink or swinging or whatever so we need to close ranks and defend one another and that can be a really dangerous thing in a community and you you see that so much of the uh the broken step idea of um for anyone not familiar like it's the idea that you're walking up a staircase and uh there's a broken step which if you tread on will you know, snap and you'll break your leg. And they're just like, oh, well, we just tell everyone, avoid the broken Mm -hmm. step. And it's like, well, maybe you should replace the broken step. So, you know, you're not putting people in danger by pretending the problem doesn't exist. Absolutely, absolutely. Or not not being unwilling to address the problem face on. Yeah, so much. Um, and, and, And looking back, actually, and thinking about it, my ex was a real... Um, who he was he was a, miss, a missing step in in some of the spaces that we were in together and I, I've actually recently um, as in the last few months reconnected with a, a bunch of people from a, from a community that we used to be part of that I used to be part of with him um, in the US that I, I'd essentially distanced myself from for years um, until someone reached out to me and pretty much said hey we 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 all know what he is and we believe you. And, and it's this real sense of like, okay, everyone knows. Then, okay, what do we do with that knowledge? Um, and it's and, and I see it so much on the king scene. Um, years ago, in the in the city where I used to live, there was a there was a guy who, as soon as I met him, I, I, I got the vibe. And anyone else who's a who's a survivor, um, or indeed who is is a woman or is read as female by society, will understand the vibe. And I and I got it. And I know lots of other people did. And one of my friends had a bad experience with this guy that was like, it was bad, but it wasn't like actionable bad. And a couple of years later, he um, ended up in prison for very, very serious physical assault with his girlfriend. And everyone was going, oh my God, who could have known? And all the women in this community were like, hi, we did. We just didn't listen. And it's the classic thing of like, as soon as one person uh, calls someone out, suddenly you get just a flood of people who are like oh well actually this sort of thing happened to me too i didn't feel like i could talk about it or even like didn't recognize it for what it was Mm. because you know you're in a space where everyone's like oh he's such a good guy he's such a good guy it's a weird thing of your gut feeling is not infallible and it is not proof of anything but it can be surprisingly helpful, right? Absolutely, and it and it, and it is that um, it, it, it's it's that intuition, and, and no, as you say, of course it's not perfect, but it's you you have that response for a reason, and it's usually based on 
cues that that tie into other experiences that that you've had and we learn so early to discount our own intuition to discount our own discomfort and to push that down and push that down and push that down and and make others comfortable Mm -hmm. and that's where it gets really dangerous because it it's almost like some something terrible and like undeniable has to happen before people will listen and even Mm -hmm. then they often don't yeah, so that that's sort of why, partly why I think it's so important that we that we have these open conversations in our communities, um, and and a lot of the time we 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 just we just don't, and it's to the point where people are silenced and incidents are brushed under the carpet, and it ends up as ju- it ends up as the whisper network is the only thing that you've got to protect people. And often, as is the case of any time you call anything out often you're given this sense of, oh, if I speak out, then I'm ruining yeah. this, ruining this, the, the good times mm. for everyone else. No, the person who does this is ruining it for yeah. everyone else. You, like, drawing attention to the problem is not the same. Right, absolutely, yeah. We, we, live, in a, we live in a culture often where it's not the person who perpetuates the abuse or the harm that is... I hesitate to use the word punished because that sounds so punitive and that's not the way that I mean it, but it's the, the, the consequences come down on the person who speaks out and reports it, not the person who does it. And that's so pervasive and it's so harmful. And, and even, if, even in situations where, you know, best case scenario, people do believe you and they do listen, you still get this, this sort of constant stream of, well, what did you do? What could you have done differently? Um, you know, did you say no clearly enough? The, you know, the, the one that I always get with my ex is, well, why don't you just leave? And it's like, I've, I've wrote, and I wrote a blog post about this, um, about how it wasn't all bad, because if it's all bad, you would leave. If it's, if it's just relentlessly terrible all the time, you would leave. But it doesn't work that way. It's sometimes it's the opposite. And sometimes it's amazing. And sometimes they, and abusers, they know how to reel you back in and they know how to, and, and I was so off balance and so, like not trusting of my own perceptions and so convinced that I was crazy of course mm. I wasn't going to stand up and just leave and that's the problem and, and another factor which is often overlooked is um literal fear yeah. of like if I leave what the fuck's he gonna absolutely. do absolutely and statistically it's it's the most dangerous time once when, when, the most dangerous time in an abusive relationship mm. is when you leave I, I think another thing about the the kink community that can lend itself to that is the way it's organized it can you often end up with these sort of charismatic people in positions of yes. power so people who organize events or uh, a big issue that happens in rope is you get these big name rope teachers who have these huge reputations i mean putting aside any conversation around power exchange you know, in a kink context, that is just such a huge power imbalance. Right, absolutely. Um, that can develop, and that it is sadly, it is very often abused. And when you're going up against someone with that level of social status, I mean, for anyone not familiar, some of these people they're almost like cult leaders. Yeah. They do have people who will just blindly follow them, regardless of what they do. And yeah. There's a person um, I'm thinking of. That, that, I mean, there's many. There's a there's a person I'm thinking of in particular within Kink who is um, who I I was warned about as this this person is dangerous. Eleven years ago, 
give or take. Mm. Still around. Was known for a long time before that. Probably been doing probably been doing this shit for like a decade and a half plus. And and, and yeah, but there's still this the, the, the cult leader analogy is really good. There's still this 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 rabid following of people who just believe that this person can do no wrong. And it, it really it frightens me that these these people have the ability to brainwash others so effectively that they can get them to just defend them and defend them and defend them in the face of all evidence to use another example to, to take it and not completely out of the out of kink but to take it more towards a sort of polyamory non-monogamy side of things and i feel i feel i feel happy kind of naming this because this has been this has been made very public um franklin Vaux, big big name polyamory leader writer teacher educator whatever but now all of these people have come forward and said and, and, and shared these stories about the ways that he abused them and the ways that he harmed them. And there's still people defending it. There's still there's still people saying, oh, they're all they're all liars, they're all crazy, they're all delusional. And that's frightening to me in many ways. Um, but it's particularly frightening that these, as I said, that these these people have the ability to get get others, not just their partners, but their community, so effectively under their thumb that they can just snap their fingers and people will defend them, even in the face of all evidence to the contrary. And and to go back to something I said earlier, I think I think as well there's a there's a real problem in some of these communities that some of the some of the ideologies and some of the um, some of the accepted messaging that take hold within these communities are not necessarily abusive in and of themselves, but can easily be weaponized. In polyamory and in non-monogamy, for example, there's this real, there's, there's been a real push in the last few years for you are responsible for you, own your own shit, do your work on yourself, which I think is fine and I think is a decent message to point, but in reality, it's been taken by, by, by many people, not, not just by abusers, by many people, it's been taken to such an extreme now I read some of the polyamory how-to guidebooks that I read, you know, five years ago or ten years ago, and thought were brilliant. And I read them now, and what I see is a gaslighting manual. What I see is what I see is an abuse mm. manual because it's like you're not responsible for your partner's feelings; they're responsible for their feelings. If you're the one who's finding something hard, then it's your it's your responsibility essentially to just squash your emotions until you feel okay with it. And I find that terrifying. And I've had that weaponized against me. And I know so many people who've had it weaponized against them. And it's it sucks. <laughs> I think that connects to a really uh, important point of these are subcultures with their own set of rules, their own set of yes. social norms, their own expectations. And when you're coming in as a new person, and this is very much a gendered yes. thing, and not just a gendered thing, if you are a pretty young woman then you are in a huge amount of danger almost uh because you are coming into a place where you don't really know the rules you don't know your boundaries particularly well and it's new and exciting it's very easy to get caught up in stuff and there are people who can take that excitement and that naivety and use it to as you said gaslight to use it to condition you to accept whatever they do as oh this is how poly is done or this is how kink yeah. is done or this is how swinging is done absolutely um and I, I i often tell the story when i think about this stuff because i think it, i think it's relevant so when i was um i must have been 19 i went to my first lunch 
with uh, my boyfriend at the time um, and um, a couple of friends, a couple of whom were, were, were older and had been on the scene for, for a bit longer. But, but we, we, we kind of we kind of ended up splitting up and talking to different people at this much as you, you know, as you, as you do. And um, I got chatting to this guy who was probably, I don't know, 45, 50, give or take, I'm bad at guessing age, just mi- middle aged guy anyway who was a very, anyone who's been in the scene will know, I mean, he, he was a doggly doll. And he cornered me in this in this pub, in this munch, and started telling me all this stuff in explicit detail that I had not asked for about his, like, stable of slaves, to use the, use the language that he used, and essentially telling me that, like, he could he could teach me and train me things, tra- he could teach me things and train me, and and how I, I was I was new, so I had to like learn about how it all worked. And and I just mm. I just remember looking around and like trying to like my boyfriend was like at the other end of the pub, and I just remember like trying to catch his eye and be like, "Can you please come and rescue me from this asshole?" But yeah, and later I later I kind of ran this past a, 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 some friends and said who'd, who'd been around on the scene for longer, and I was like, "Is that is that normal? Is that is that okay? Is that how it is?" And they were like, "No, that's." That, that what he did was really creepy and the way that he described behaving in his DS relationship sounds like super not okay. I was lucky in, in some ways that I had older and wiser friends turn to and people mm. I could ask and, and things, but there was, it's, it's one example, there were so many, I encounter them a lot less now. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not meek at 19 anymore, I'm 30 and tell people to fuck off now. But uh, I, I still, I still see it. You know, people, people see a woman or someone they read as a woman mm-hmm. who is relatively young and, and and whatever, and they're like, oh, stop, and they and they put they stick a label on you, and they're like, oh, you are obviously this, and like, yes, I am submissive as it happens. Mostly, it's complicated. These communities still play out these patriarchal norms in so many ways. There's still this real assumption that if you're a woman, in particular if you're a young woman, you are a submissive. And if you're not, that's still really subversive. Mm. And it's dangerous. And I see it all the time with people who are new and who don't have the luxury of the the, the sounding boards that, I, that mm. I had that saved me from getting burnt worse in that situation because i know that so many young women um i mean pe- people of all genders but women in particular are, are, are coming into the scene and they're getting they're getting hurt and they're getting burned and they're and they're leaving and i don't blame them yeah when people come in as the shiny mm. new thing I, I mean you can kind of see it sometimes if there's just this fucking there's almost a feeding yes. frenzy of everyone who wants to you know, be the one to introduce the new person to King or to claim them. And it's really scary. And actually, ironically, that I, the psychologically abusive partner that I talked about, was sort of one of those people in a strange way. Like when, when he met me, he very much told me that like I was the exception. I mean, he was in he was in his mid thirties. And it was like, I don't date teenagers, you know, you're an exception, you're you're special, you're different, this, that, and the other. But actually, I wasn't at all. Because in the end, that it turned out that what he wanted was a steady stream of women. And he wanted them as young as possible, as inexperienced as possible. I remember him, I remember him like kind of scolding me because he, he was he was the second cis man I had sex with ever. Um, and I remember him like scolding me that I wasn't a virgin because he really wanted to take someone's virginity and I was like the youngest person he'd ever been with so I was like 
the best chance he has. Like, oh, I'm really sorry. It's like this about three years before I met you. That's a fucking red flag. Um, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And now I look back and I'm like, it's so obvious. But it's so obvious at the age of 30 with years mm. of experience. It's not obvious when you're, frankly, very naive 19-year-old. Yeah. And this charismatic older guy is telling you that you're special. There's a phrase from Terry Pratchett I love. Wisdom is gained from experience. Experience is often caused by lack of wisdom. Absolutely. That's so good. So yeah, that's that's really where that's really where I'm coming mm. from with all of this. It, it's super complicated, it's super nuanced. There's no there's rarely any easy answers to it. And it's particularly complicated because abusers don't abuse everyone they meet, mm. obviously. Um, they don't always they don't they don't start straight away. They don't they don't I mean maybe there's red flags from the beginning, but it doesn't get really awful mm. from the beginning because if it got really awful from the beginning, no one would get invested enough to stay. Something I think is connected to this is there's a philosophy in kink that uh your kink is not my kink and that's okay. Again, I agree with the principle, like there are things I'm not into. <sighs> Not many things I'm not into. <laughs> but there, there are some things which I'm not into, and yeah. I'm not going to judge people for enjoying them. But what it's often used mm. to do is often used as a way of saying, nobody can criticise me ever. Anything I do is Absolutely. fine because it's my kink. I do not agree with that. I mean, if you fetishise trans people, then... Your kink is not my kink, and actually your kink is problematic. Uh, or if you're into race play, right. that's like, that happens in the context of a racist society. That's not as simple as your kink is not my kink and that's okay. It's your kink is my kink and that's problematic. Yeah, it's it's so true though. Like, I, I broadly, I subscribe to the whole your kink is not my kink, but your kink is okay thing, but actually... Sometimes I, I I don't think all kinks are okay. I think there are some that are not okay, um, or that at least can be engaged in in ways that are not okay. Yeah, it's it's a case of you have to engage with this critically. Like you can't yes. just explain everything away by your kink is not my kink and that's okay. Like there is you do actually need to fucking think. Yeah. Absolutely, and it's and it's something that I've really. I mean, we, we before we before we started recording, uh, we were funnily enough we were talking about kind of discourses that come round again and again and again. And one of the one of the discourses that I'm so fucking bored of is, can you be a feminist and a submissive? It's like obviously yes, uh... um, yeah, but also it, it's I, I. But my actual answer to that is yes. But, and I'm saying this as a woman who is submissive and who is a feminist, I, I feel like you have to engage with those things, yeah, critically. You have to yeah, engage with them consciously, maybe is what I mean. Like, I, I'm very aware that some of the things that I am into in a kink context as a submissive woman are mimicking of problematic patriarchal structures. Mm. But the difference is, the difference is consent, the difference is informed Mm. informed consent and risk-aware practices and also engaging with them with I mean I you know I, I play with people of all genders but my my, my primary partner is a cis man engaging with them with 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 someone who also was willing mm. to critically examine and and critique those structures um, like at this point I just won't submit to anyone who isn't a feminist if, 
it has to be so clear. It's almost like the the line between reality and pretend. I mean, I, I fall very strongly on the kink as fundamentally a game of pretend for adults yeah. side of things. Um, but the for me, the line between reality and pretend has to be so bright and glowing that I know that the other person is not going to use kink to justify shitty behaviour in real life. Is there anything else you'd like to say about this? What I want to leave people with um, is, first of all, trust your gut. Believe survivors. Please believe survivors. And that actually not being abusive isn't enough. I think that as, I mean, just as as humans in a society, but as as people engaging in subculture um, and kind of alt-sex communities like uh, like BDSM or polyamory or swinging or any of, any of those things, um, I think we actually all have a responsibility to make sure, to do what we can to make sure that those spaces are actively anti-abusive and that they do not, that, that we're not creating a space that enables abuse to thrive, even if we would never perpetuate it ourselves. Because creating a space where it can survive and fly under the radar and be excused is almost as bad as perpetuating it i think the only thing i'd add to that is be aware that these communities you want to join are they're not perfect they're not utopias they are Mm. made of people and people are fallible and we have all of the same issues that the wider world has um, so don't get caught. Yeah. Don't try not to get too caught up in the hype. Yeah, they, they exist within uh, sub subcultures exist within the wider context of rape culture and patriarchy and um, misogyny and racism and transphobia and homophobia and all of those all of those structures. They don't exist outside of them because they can't. Yeah. So any any person or any space that claims to be a utopia or a place to be free of those things be very very skeptical of yeah and often what that what they mean by that is uh people know to keep quiet about this because this is not a safe space yeah. to critically talk about it i mean i've i've written about transphobia in sex blogging and one of the common responses was oh, we didn't have transphobia in sex blogging before you wrote these articles. It's like, no, we fucking did. But like the weight was on trans people to shut up and not ruin the illusion that this was a utopia. Yeah. So when you see somewhere saying, oh, we don't have an issue with this, that's not true. It exists within the context of broader society um yeah and that exists within the context of the issues within broader society yeah absolutely mm. that's that that's it we have to we have to engage with our subcultures with an understanding of those power structures and those problems not by trying to say that we exist outside of them because we can't thank you so much for coming on and talking about this stuff um before you go i'm going to ask you the question i ask every guest if you were stuck on a desert island with an electricity supply specifically set up for a sex toy, plenty of lube and condoms, something to keep the sand out of the lube and condoms, what would you bring and why? Um, This is a very well-equipped island. I'm very impressed. It's a very specifically equipped island. It is. It is. Um, but my my uh, this is a, this is such an easy question for me. My my desert island sex toy is the Doxy original, because it is the best. I don't know what else to say because it's a because it's 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 super powerful and I love it. 
I, I'm honestly amazed that it's taken us till the fifth episode to get someone say, saying they'd bring their doxy. Has like, no one said the doxy yet? I, okay, I, there's me thinking I'm being terribly unoriginal. I was really surprised. I was thinking, I, I, I was thinking, I'm going to, I might have to at some point institute a no more doxies rule <laughs> just to keep it original. But no, surprisingly, you're the first one uh, who's who wants to bring that. But it's just, it's so, it's so good. Like, I'm going to be stuck on this island for a while, right? I might as well have a lot of orgasms. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me at coffeeandkink.me and I'm also at coffeeandkink on Twitter. Um, and I am coffeeandkink with a dash at either side on FetLife. And in all of those places, it's uh, it's uh, A-N-D, not an ampersand. You can find me at Quemby Creatives on social media, or you can follow the podcast at Dildos on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Until then, stay safe.